I had a, um, a conversation this week with a mom who, I haven't known her all that long, someone who goes to our church, and I was asking her if uh, I was going to see her this Sunday, and um, she started crying, and I wasn't ready for that. And it just reminded me that, in fact, she said, no, I'm not, she was almost like, why would I go to church on Mother's Day? And it just reminded me that Mother's Day is such a, such a special day, an opportunity for us to do something we should be doing every day, to give thanks to God for the role that mothers have, the very unique and special role that mothers have in displaying God's glory on the earth. Um, and yet it's also a day that the enemy has sabotaged for many women and turned it into a day of sorrow and grief and, you know, it's just what it's become. And so I want to acknowledge that and that sort of helped me decide what I was going to do today and what we were going to talk about. <clears throat> so a few years ago, I don't remember when this was, but I remember a few years ago, Vicki and I decided we were going to take our kids downtown to the lakefront. It was a Saturday, and we were going to fly kites. And the, I think it was we were at Bradford Beach, or maybe it was McKinley Marina area. We were going to have this, it was going to be a great day. We just had the whole thing planned out. We're going to take, it's something we don't do normally. And so we drove downtown, got to the lake, we had the kites ready. We just, we thought this is going to be awesome. It's going to be a great day. But it turned out to be more of a nightmare. Um, the kites didn't work very well. Our daughters were fighting and bickering over who got to fly. Their kites got entangled, and it was like their worlds fell apart. And then the one, the one of them, you know, liked the other one's kite better, threw a complete fit. She was hysterical, made a scene. Everyone on the beach was like, who are these people? Coming in here from the suburbs, ruining our Saturday. It just, we had, we had to cut things short, take one of the girls to the car for discipline, and then we just, we ended up leaving way before we planned. It was just, I journaled about it, because I keep a journal, and I'm not very consistent with it, but my wife appreciates the fact that I keep a journal of our kind of day-to-day lives, and that's in there, there's a day in there, I, I, I don't have the journal with me, I, could, I had a detailed account of this day. And everything that went wrong, it was like a page and a half <laughs> account of our day at the beach with the kites. And um, so I want you to know that our family, this is just how families are. Families struggle with chaos, you know. Um, in fact, <laughs> my, f- my friend, brother John Schmick, he, he wrote a book recently called Look Back and Laugh. It's about 50 pages and the book is full of days like that. It's just, each chapter is like a day in his life that was turned, it was supposed to be a great day, turned out to be a disaster, and he just puts this great spin on everything, and it's, it's funny, it's engaging, and it's just like so true to life, you know? And I just enjoyed reading his account of his life because it made me feel like, well, I guess we're pretty normal. <laughs> um... But being a mom is mostly a thankless calling, isn't it? I mean, I know moms aren't doing it for, for gratitude, but especially when your kids are young, they just don't appreciate the mundane day-to-day work that you do. 
They just don't, and you really shouldn't expect them to. There are a lot of moms who may go their entire life and not feel appreciated or valued by their children. And that's why Mother's Day is very hard to celebrate for some moms. Some of us had a great home life. Some of us wish we could forget our home life. Some of us come from a broken and fractured family. Some of us are living with brokenness in our homes. Some of you may be full of regret because of what you have lost or given up in your family. And I want you to know that there's, there's still time and there's still hope. No matter what you came from, no matter what you're living with right now, there's always hope for your home, hope for your family. So today marks a new beginning for us as a church, right? And I thought it would be fitting to go back to the beginning and look at the first family from the book of Genesis. And I think you'll see that the story of the first family is your story as well. Their chaos has been passed down to you. And the question is, what do you do with it? What do you do when chaos invades your home? How do you handle that? Do you run and hide? Do you try to overpower it? Do you um, just shut down? But the story of Genesis and really of the whole Bible is a story of peace to chaos and back to peace. That's really, I think, what the Bible storyline is. It starts out with peace in Eden. Everything is lost. And then peace is restored. Again, once again, in the end. And, and so we're going to take a snapshot of that this morning, beginning in Genesis chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 1, or turn your Bibles on. and We're going to spend all of our time in Genesis, or most of our time in Genesis this morning. We're going to cover sort of a lot of verses in a pretty short amount of time. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. That's a familiar verse for most of you. This is what we read. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In chapter 2, the author says it this way. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Now the language used to describe God's creation of humans, of Adam and Eve, is very personal language and it pictures human beings as God's masterpiece or his work of art. I have a friend who I used to work with. We still stay connected. He's, a, he's an artist. He, he has a um, not, a, not a gallery, but it's sort of a studio slash workshop where he has a kiln and he has all of his works of art. He, he makes pottery. And he has this one, in fact, he also makes guitars now. He just started making guitars. And there are hundreds of pieces. He showed me around his workshop one day. Hundreds of pieces that he's made and poured into. But there's only one piece of pottery that's considered by him to be his masterpiece. And he showed it to me. It's this small, plain-looking piece but his heart and soul went into this one piece. And he considers it to be his masterpiece. He, he said that his life went into that piece, he told me. He's not a Christian. This is what he said about this piece of art that he made, this piece of pottery. And that is how humans are described in Genesis. The language used is that of a potter working with clay, but the master potter isn't finished until he breathes life into his work. And that's what God did to humans. 
God breathed life into him. He didn't breathe life into the animals. He didn't breathe life into the trees or into other things in nature. He only breathed life into human beings. Human beings are God's masterpiece. Human beings alone are the image bearers of God. This word breathed is very personal and intimate. It it pictures an act of self-giving. God giving himself, pouring himself into men and women. So the woman, this is what I want you to understand. The woman is created in the image of God and given value apart from any childbearing. Did you hear that, women? You are created in God's image and are valuable to him whether you ever have a child or not. You do not need to have children to be precious in God's sight. You are valued because you are made in God's image, not because of what you do or don't do, not because of what you have or don't have. Women, you represent God, you project God, display God's image by trusting in his word, living a life worthy of the gospel, and you don't need a husband or children to do that. You are precious, you are just as precious and valuable to God, with or without children. Let's, that's, what, that's what we read in Genesis 1 and 2. Let's read on, Genesis 1.28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And again, in Genesis chapter 2, the author says it this way, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. We looked at this verse a few weeks ago. And again, this is not primarily about having children. This is not merely about having children. This is God commanding husbands and wives to enjoy and embrace physical intimacy with one another. That's what this verse is commanding. Husbands, have you ever had trouble obeying this command? Um, You don't need to raise your hands or anything. Adam did not have trouble with this command. Eve was totally ready and willing and able and it all were, everything worked. There was no awkwardness, there was no embarrassment or selfishness or lack of desire. There were no headaches. They loved, they loved every minute of this, okay? They were a perfect fit in every way. Adam did not exploit Eve's body or use, use her for his own pleasure. He enjoyed her and cherished her. He loved her for who she was in the image of God. He saw Eve as a body and spirit, as one. Okay, he, he, Eve was never an object to Adam. Genesis 2.25 summarizes this by saying, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. What an amazing verse. The idea of nakedness tells us that in the beginning, Adam and Eve were completely vulnerable to one another and to God. With no shame. No fear. They had nothing to hide. They saw no need to cover themselves. There's no sin. There's no jealousy or competition. There's no arguing or failed expectations. There's no guilt. There's no fear. And that, that is how we were supposed to, that is what we are, we are made for, is, is that kind of freedom, that kind of intimacy, that kind of vulnerability. That's what we are made for. That is what the church is supposed to be displaying to the world. 
Fear only appears after sin does in Genesis and in your life. Fear always follows sin, and chaos always follows sin and fear. Always. And now we'll see how chaos was introduced into the world. In Genesis chapter 2 again, in verse 16, God said, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 2, the serpent, more crafty than any other creature, enters into the picture and says to Eve, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of the tr- any tree in the garden? You will not surely die. You see, Adam and Eve had, they had everything they needed to be happy until they believed a lie. And the lie, and we have all believed this lie, we've all believed it, and the lie is this, you do not need God to be happy. And it comes in the form of a question. And the question is, did God really say that? Did God really mean that when he said that? Did God really promise that? Does God really love you? Is he really going to finish what he started? Does God really have your best in mind? Or is he maybe keeping something from you? Those kinds of questions are what always lead us down the path of sin. Always. Does God really love me? Does he really forgive me? And so Genesis 3, chapter 16, we know Adam and Eve both ate the fruit God told them not to eat. And God said this to them. I'm just going to focus on what he said to the woman today. To the woman he said, God said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. That's what God said. The word pain in this passage is translated twice, and it's not just talking about childbirth. I know we sometimes read that passage and we think, oh yeah, childbirth hurts. And, and, but we've overcome that curse with medicine and stuff like that. <laughs> not so fast. Um, this is not just about the agonizing pain a woman experiences when she delivers a baby, which, by the way, some women go into labor so quickly... That there is no alleviation from the pain. I've experienced that chaos five times. I've lost at least five years from my life because of this passage and this, what happens here. This, but this isn't just about the agonizing pain a woman experiences when she delivers a baby. This is about conception. Okay? What God has in view here is the entire process from conception to raising the child. Maybe you didn't know that. So, the whole process is in view. And the word for pain is not only in reference to the physical pain and discomfort, it can mean anxiety, fear, grief, worry, and misery. So what God is saying is that because of our disobedience, women will experience tremendous anxiety and grief and struggle and the process of having and raising children. That makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? So this includes anxiety over any of the following. 
whether or not she will be able to have a baby, <laughs> okay? In Proverbs chapter 30, the, the writer says, there are four things that in this world that are never satisfied. One of them is the barren womb. Women agonize over whether or not they will ever be able to have children because of sin and chaos. This includes discomfort from the pregnancy. This includes the health of the child in the womb. This includes whether or not she will agony or anxiety over whether or not the mom and the child will survive or whether or not the child will be healthy and normal. Women suffer through all of that because of the curse of sin. All of this anxiety is the result of women and men wanting to be in control. Women were never meant to worry about reproduction in any way. The reason women will always wrestle with the anguish of carrying and delivering and raising children is because Eve, the mother of us all, decided in her heart that she knew better than God. And every single woman here would have done the same. And Adam was silent, and men, you and I would have been too. And, and as you know, Adam and Eve started a family, and Genesis chapter 4 tells us that God is pleased with, they had two sons to start with, and we're told that God was pleased with one of the sons and his offering, his worship, and he was not pleased with the other son's worship. And, and so he's pleased with Abel, and Cain, not so much. And so Cain gets angry, and things start to get really ugly, and God shows grace to Cain by confronting him before he does something he will regret. And in Genesis chapter 4, we read this. And the Lord speaks to Cain. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So God gives Cain a warning and a choice. God is Cain's father, actually. We should kind of look at the relationship that way. God is included, actually, in the genealogy of Luke chapter 3, where Adam is called the son of God. And Cain is also descended from God, and God here shows us what to do with a rebellious, strong-willed, hard-hearted child who is bent on evil. Any of you have a strong-willed, rebellious, hard-hearted child or dealt with a child? No, and again, don't raise your hand. I'm just raising my hand because I have been in that boat. And what does God do? God talks to him. God pleads with him. God asks him questions. Why are you so angry? If you are not careful, your anger will devour you. It'll ruin you. God gave his children everything. Love, peace, comfort, joy, clear access to him, clear expectations and boundaries, freedom and responsibility. God gave them access to him even after they sinned. He still speaks to them. He approaches Cain in his anger and offers him a way out. But Cain rejects God's word. And he kills his own brother. Listen, moms and dads, some of you have a child or you have had children who were, they just seem to be bent on making poor choices. 
It just seemed to be in their DNA. God had a child like that. Okay? God, the perfect father, confronts his stubborn son Cain. And Cain walks away from him. He refuses him, his counsel. Raising a strong-willed child can cause a lot of pain and chaos in your home. And God knows that. He knows that he's felt that chaos. God knows our pain. This was deeply personal and painful for God. God shows up. Genesis, think about Genesis. You look at the book, whole book of Genesis and all these families and all the chaos. I mean, family after family, generation after generation. And if we see anything from God, it's that, it's that God is personal. He's personal and he wants a relationship with us. He, he pleads with us. He's patient with us. He's long-suffering. He created us for a relationship with him. And that relationship plays out in a family setting. It's always in a family setting. And even when, when families suffer, God suffers. I mean, think about this. If Jesus wept when Lazarus died from some disease, imagine the pain God feels when Cain rejects him and kills his other son, Abel. When Cain killed Abel, we're told that Abel's blood cried out to God from the ground. Abel's blood screamed and God heard it. The first family was a complete mess. Adam was passive. He stood by. He watched his wife disobey God. He said nothing. Then he joined her. He was there. He was there. He could have said, wait wait a minute, what are you doing? You know what God said. God didn't say that. Why would we even think about this? We have everything we need. Come on, let's go find God right now. Run away with me. Let's run to him. Adam didn't say that. He said nothing. He listened to temptation. He took the fruit. He hid from God with his wife. He hid from the presence of God. They had two boys and they lost both of them. Abel was murdered. Cain, banished, became a wanderer. He settled in a land east of Eden, a land where chaos was everywhere. It was every man for himself. God gives Adam and Eve a third child. They name him Seth. But the legacy of Adam's family is the blood of Abel. And in Hebrews 12.24, the writer says something about the blood of Abel. He says, Jesus is our mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That's what the New Testament says about the blood of Abel. That Jesus, the blood of Abel is meant to point us to someone else's blood. You see that? That's what this is about. According to Hebrews 20, 12, 24, the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. And what is that word? If Abel's blood speaks vengeance and justice, then what does Jesus' blood speak? And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, this is what Paul wrote. For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus is the perfect, the perfect representation of God. When God created human beings, that's who he had in mind. Jesus. 
who existed from eternity past. And through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So Jesus' blood speaks peace to us. It gives us peace with God. When we trust the blood of Jesus, we're saying that our sin will not define us in the end. That our identity has changed. That God has covered us with the righteousness of Jesus. We are, new, we are a new creation. Remade in the image of Jesus. We have peace with God. We don't have to hide from him anymore. We don't have to hide from each other anymore. Because Jesus' blood speaks a better word. So moms, do you know what that means for you? It means that if you love Jesus and your house looks like a disaster all the time, you are not condemned. It means that if you love Jesus, but you sometimes feel more love at times for one of your kids than another, you are not condemned. It means that you are not condemned because you lost a child, or you miscarried, or because you can't have more children. It means you are not condemned if you don't want to have more children. You are not condemned if you're not a good cook. You are not condemned when your child slams a door in your face or screams at you. You're not condemned by being divorced. You're not condemned by your desire to get out of the house and have some alone time, even if it's every single day. You are not condemned by your body. You are not condemned by your problem child or your failures to discipline that child. You are not condemned by your child's life and choices. You're not condemned by the junk food you feed your kids. You're not condemned by the people who stare at you in the grocery store when your child erupts like a volcano. You're not condemned because you didn't go to timeout every month last year. By the way, timeout's great. You should go every month. But you're not condemned if you don't. You're not condemned by the standards of your mother-in-law. Mom, you belong to Jesus and you are not guilty through faith in his blood. (laughs) Jesus' blood is what defines you. Because you have trusted in the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, you are covered in his righteousness. Moms, if you hear nothing else today, please hear this. Jesus Christ is your identity. You are not a mom first. You will never be a mom first. You will not be a mom forever. You will be a child of God forever. You are a child of God. You are his beloved. When Jesus returns, you will will be revealed as his bride. Radiant. Clothed in splendor and righteousness, you will shed the mothering. You you will shed the mother label or whatever you want to call it. It won't matter anymore. You You will be united to your Savior Jesus for eternity. That's what will matter. You will see Jesus' face and whatever agony you have gone through because of your past will be forgotten. So why... Why embrace that agony now? You weren't made for that. You're united to Christ now through faith. You are Jesus' disciple first. The past has been redeemed, and God is recreating you into his beautiful bride. Nothing can separate you from his love. 
Not junk food or frozen pizza or a strong-willed child or a passive husband or your poor choices from the past. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He is your life. He is your identity. And the most important job that you have, moms, your most important role in this world is not to create a beautiful house of order and to look like you have it together on the outside, but to promote a house, a home of grace and peace. That's what we're created for. Grace and peace. That means no matter what's going on around you, no matter what kind of day you've had, no matter what kind of week you've had, no matter how, what kind of choices your kids have made or that you've made, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace covers you through faith in Jesus. Do you want to know how to handle chaos in your home? And I wish I could be more practical right now, but it starts with this, okay? You can't control the chaos. You can't. You never will. You have a massive amount of influence on your husband and your children, but you can't control how they behave. You never will. Your worth is not tied up in how your husband and your kids behave or how you behave. Moms, when chaos invades your family, there's no need to shut down, there's no need to run and hide, there's no need to try and overpower it with your voice or any other part of you. (laughs) The only solution to chaos in your home is the peace of God in Jesus Christ. Faith in the gospel. Remembering that no matter what I do, no matter what I've done, no matter what my kids do, no matter what they've done, no matter what my husband has done or decides to do, I am created in God's image and I've been remade into the image of Jesus through faith in his blood. And I'm his child. And nothing will ever change that. Nothing. No one can take me away from God. No one, nothing can snatch me out of God's hand. Because that's who you are. And I want to leave you with one passage, from, one more verse from the uh, book of 1 Peter. Chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. This isn't even addressed to moms. It's addressed to wives, but this is, goes for all women everywhere. He says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. Now, I realize that some of you don't have a gentle and quiet temperament. (laughs) But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about having peace in the midst of chaos. In your heart, in your innermost being, knowing who you are, knowing God. That no matter what's going on around you, in your family, in your home, in your life, You are hoping in the God of the universe and his son Jesus that he is going to make good on his promises to you. That's that's what it means to have a gentle and quiet spirit. doesn't mean you can't raise your voice from time to time. So moms, when you handle the chaos of your home with peace in your heart, you're winning. You're winning. Hope in God and nothing else. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again 
for the opportunity that we have to gather here today in the presence of Jesus. To be renewed in our hope in Jesus Christ. And to go away from here with a new focus, with encouragement and strength and hope in what you've done. Not measuring ourselves and our performance anymore, but looking to Jesus, our pioneer, the author and the finisher of our faith, and finding our hope and joy in him. In Christ's name we pray, amen.